Good morning. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we're very excited to have all of you with us on this uh, wonderful Easter morning. And uh, I I will say that uh, a couple of things. One, next week we begin a series. Thank you, Supervisor Workman. uh, On uh, those of you that are here last series, remember, um, just one moment, talk amongst yourselves. Okay, stop. Wow, there's like... Um, we, were, uh, we, we are beginning a series next week entitled uh, The Great Commitment, TGC. And it is a radical way to, uh, to change your life. Um, and we will do that for seven weeks, at the end of which we will have, um, well, a commitment. You should have gathered that from the title. Shouldn't be a surprise. Um, today is Easter Sunday, and I learned a long time ago uh, not to hit it out of the park on Easter, not to try to hit it out of the park on Easter, because, well, honestly, you can't. Really, uh, a wise pastor told me, he said, on Christmas Eve and Easter, just try to get on base. You know, don't swing for the fence because you, the tendency is you want to. I mean, because look around. This isn't 930. Who are you people, right? <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you can turn around and see somebody who's like, wow, dude, I haven't seen that guy in like five. I thought he died. I'm so glad you're still alive. Wow, I thought you moved. Oh, it's amazing that you're still here. And, uh, I mean, they're putting up extra yellow chairs. We don't use the yellow chairs, but you're here. And we praise God for that. And, you know, we're, we're, we're sad not to be outside, but, um, and somebody already gave me a crack about it, say, saying that I was weak um, for not carrying through. And I said, you know what? At the time we would have set up, it was raining. So you weren't here. Um, <laughs> so where are you? Yeah, yeah that's right, buddy. Um, so, uh, you know, so we're inside, and it's still Easter Sunday. It's still a glorious day, and we're still excited to be here. And, and one thing, you know, we're going to talk about Jesus is risen and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, did you notice that August is risen? Wasn't it good to have August back? It, if, you are, if you're looking around because you are an overflow from the sanctuary, welcome. Um, or if you are uh, just in from out of town, a, a relative or something, August uh, Joffe, our uh, lead vocalist, uh, w- female vocalist, had a baby recently, Sydney, who's a beautiful little baby. And by beautiful, I mean seriously. It's like you want to slap somebody how good looking this kid is. Definitely doesn't look like his dad, John. But <clears throat> I will say that uh, it, it's good to have her back. She, is, she was gone for a while. And I really just wanted to take a, a second to say welcome back, but also to thank Stacy Smith uh, for filling in in her absence, who Stacy doesn't necessarily like to be up here. Yes. And in fact, she's kind of shaking her head and she just ducked down behind the booth when I said that so nobody would see her. Um, So uh, there you go. That's out of the way. The following is brought to you by Rob Bell of Mars Hill. I say that because none of this is mine. I try to knock it out of the park a few times and it always fails. And so I went out and looked for somebody who has knocked it out of the park. This sermon today is based we're going to say like 90% on Rob Bell and his sermon. And, and the reason I did that is because it rocks. I mean, this is some cool stuff. You're going to have to follow along. I'm not going to lie to you. This isn't your child's Easter service. It's not going to be dirty or anything, but we're, go- we're going into Leviticus. Leviticus. How many of you have read Leviticus recently? 
Yeah, exactly. How many of you have ever read? How many of you know that Leviticus is a book of the Bible? Let's just go there. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're good there. Okay. So Leviticus in the Jewish life, there are seven festivals. There are seven festivals that the Jews celebrate, four of which happen in the spring. Three happen in the fall. The fall feasts begin with the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, also called Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a Feast of Trumpets. And at the beginning of this, they start a 10-day period of fasting, a 10-day period of soul-searching, of looking deep into yourself, because at the end of it, something big happens. But during the 10 days of fasting, and of looking deep into oneself and, and, and really examining your life, taking a second to, not a second, 10 days to really look at your life. At the end of it, you come before God. At the end of it is Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. It's the day when everyone gets cleansed before God. For the entire year. The entire year, for those 10 days, you think back over the past year, what have I done? Where are the moments where I missed God? Where are the moments where I stepped away from God? Now let me be cleansed. And everybody would come together to celebrate this day of atonement. Everybody would come together to celebrate Yom Kippur. In Leviticus, if you have your Bibles, open up to Leviticus chapter 16. I like saying Leviticus. It rolls off the tongue quite nicely. In Leviticus chapter 16, this is... Uh, the, it's what happens. It's the festival of Yom Kippur. This is what will happen. This is what would have happened at Yom Kippur. Verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons who died when they burned a different kind of fire than the Lord had commanded. Why is that important? Because you listen to God. If God tells you to do something, listen to it or you're going to be burned. Okay. Keep that in mind. Uh, The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain. Whenever he chooses, the penalty for intrusion is death for the ark's cover. The place of atonement There you go. is there. And I myself am present in the cloud over the atonement cover. So God lives in this area. God lives everywhere. But God dwells. God dwells in this place, in the temple, behind this curtain, the place of atonement. There's God. And, And when you go in there... You better be prepared is basically what God is telling Moses to tell Aaron. Now, Aaron at the time is the high priest. Aaron is in charge of all of the festivals. He is the guy who will make all the sacrifices. He is the guy who will do the burnt offerings. He's the guy who will do the incense. He's the man who goes before God. And what God is telling him is, if you come into my place, you better be ready. If you come into me, if you come in to meet with me, be prepared. So verse 3, listen to this. While Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a whole burnt offering. Then he must wash his entire body and put on his linen tunic and the undergarments worn next to the body. Anybody didn't think that the Bible talked about underwear? Right there. Put on your sacred underwear. Not your favorite boxers, but your sacred underwear is what he's saying. Put next to the body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put the linen turban on his head. These are his sacred garments. So he he must prepare himself ritually. He must make a sacrifice for himself and for his family to cleanse himself. Then he's got to get dressed in the appropriate garments. And then he's got to enter into the temple. Now think about this. At the time that this would have gone on, during the second temple period... 
the Temple Mount could have, hold, uh, could have held around 210,000 people. About the size of this room. 210,000 people. Think about that. The entire nation comes. And they're looking to Aaron to go into God for them. This is a big deal. The temple was huge. It said that when Herod finished building the temple and he laid off the workers, 18,000 people were unemployed. That the stones that they have uncovered from the temple, some of them are like 10 foot by 10 foot by 80 foot. 2.3 tons, I think it is. Um, huge things that, and uh, one historian says that not a, the sound of a chisel was heard in Jerusalem at the time of building the temple. In other words, they carved the stones somewhere else and then they brought them there. They have no idea how they did this. Oh, slave labor. There's some, we don't have machines big enough to carry some of the stones that are there for the temple. This is a huge place. This is a holy place. It is a place where all these people are coming after 10 days of fasting. Okay, you're hungry. (laughs) 10 days of denying yourself. 10 days of soul searching and you come to this moment. It's a big deal. It is a big deal to come. Now, we've just been through Lent. This is the end of Lent. How many of you gave something up for Lent this year? Raise your hand if you gave something up for Lent. Yeah, very few. Very few people do that anymore. How many of you who gave something up, of the four of you, how many of you did it the entire time? Actually, well, more of you did it the entire time than actually gave something. Now, wait a minute. This is, I'm no math wizard, but I don't have to take my shoes off to count that. And one of the things is when we used to give stuff, I grew up in the Episcopal church and in the Episcopal Church, you gave something up for Lent, except on Sundays, right? Sundays was the day where you could just gorge. Because really, I guess theoretically, if you're counting 40 days, you have to take Sundays out to get the 40 days. How many of you that gave stuff up for Lent do the Sunday rule also, that you can eat on Sunday or do whatever? Really? So you're all holier than I am? Hmm, nice. Maybe you should be up here preaching the sermon. But it's not that big of a deal to us anymore. But to the Jews, this was huge. This was a huge thing. They truly denied themselves. It was a serious event. And they come to this temple. They come to the Temple Mount. Hundreds of thousands of them. And they come to see Aaron. And the guy who is going in for the entire nation, you better hope that he has everything together, right? You better hope he's wearing that sacred underwear. Because this is important stuff, Aaron. This is a pretty big deal, and we need you to follow all the rules so that we can go on about our lives and having been cleansed by God. This is a big thing for the whole year. We want to start our year off forgiven and clean and ready to to move forward. And so you're expecting Aaron to fulfill all of these things. Um, Because heaven and earth are kind of a heaven and earth kind of come together in the temple. There's a, a great letter that, uh, that Rob has from um, this to a guy named Ariosus. And it's talking about what happens during this day. And it says this, It was an occasion of great amazement to us when we saw Eleazar, who was the high priest at the time, engaged in his ministry and all the glorious vestments, including the wearing of the garment with precious stones upon it in which he is vested. There the priest's appearance makes one awestruck and dumbfounded. A man would think he had come out of this world 
into another. I emphatically assert that every man who comes near the spectacle of what I have described will experience astonishment and amazement beyond words. His very being transformed by the hallowed arrangement on every single detail. The people who were there had an understanding that what they were witnessing was amazing. That what they were, miss- that what they were witnessing was, was beyond this world. That God was there. I think because we have watered down Christianity and watered down religion that we miss that aspect of it. That we miss the, the awe-inspiring presence of God. I think because we put little stickers on the back of our car that have a little ichthus and we say, my boss is a Jewish carpenter and we have all of these different things and we wear the t-shirts and, and necklaces and all those things that we have missed. Somehow we've misplaced that awe-inspiring sense of being before God. I think when we come into this room, sometimes we don't even grasp it. Sometimes when we come into this room and we enter a time of worship, that sometimes we're just not all there. That we're, we're here, but we're not really there. I think some of us have a more, more sense of awe and, and amazement when we go to Kyle Field or to Memorial Stadium or to the AT&T Center. Some of you just went, yeah. Think about it. Sometimes we paint our face and we get all dressed up and we go to the game and we get all fired up. But here, we're just here. It's Easter Sunday. Of course we're going to be here. Because that's what you do. Especially if we're visiting our crazy Aunt Mary Ann and she makes us come to church. Just kidding, Mary Ann. I just saw you. You are a little crazy, though. That's what I like about you. Um, so... So this this thing that's happening is kind of amazing and it's kind of out of this world and the people who are coming before it get that. They get it. And then so verse 6, this is what's going to happen here. This is why this is a big deal. Aaron will present the bull as a sin offering to make atonement for himself and his family. Okay, I'm clean. I go in. Then he must bring two male goats and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be sacrificed to the Lord And which goat will be the scapegoat? The goat chosen to be sacrificed to the Lord will be presented by Aaron as a sin offering. The goat chosen to be the scapegoat will be presented to the Lord alive. When it is sent away into the wilderness, it will make atonement for the people. The scapegoat. The word for this in Hebrew is Azazel. Azazel. The Azazel would be, which actually means taken away, would be Azazel. This goat, there's two goats. One goat's killed, sacrificed to God. The other goat is kept alive. It's kept alive to make atonement. And it's so cool. It's so cool to see what happens. Here's what happens. Well, okay, first of all, you have all these people. You bring in these goats. There's these two goats. You roll dice. Boom, you're the, you're the goat that's going to be sacrificed. You are now the Azazel goat. So they go through with the sacrifice of, of the goat that will be sacrificed. And let me tell you, it's a pretty tricky deal what Aaron has to do. It goes through the recordings of, um, I'm skipping some verses, but it, it talks about what he has to do. And essentially, there's a point in time where in order to do what it says he must do, he's got to be like carrying a shovel full of hot coals in his mouth and walking through and carrying all these things in through a curtain, you know, set it on fire, whatever, to get in to where God is. I mean, it was a pretty talented affair for Aaron to, to go through what he must have gone through. But then you get the live goat. Then you get the live goat. 
And people go nuts for the live goat. They go nuts for the Azazel goat. There's a difference in the way that Easterners think and that Westerners think. I think we all realize that. But the text was written in an Eastern mind, in an Eastern mindset, because they were Easterners. We've grown up in a Western world where definitions are important, where we want, give me three things from this sermon to take away. Give me four reasons why I am forgiven and I will understand it. Whereas the Eastern mind and, and what Jesus would have done is there's a guy who like there's a guy who has two sons. One of the sons says, Dad, I want all of your money and I want you dead. Jesus will tell a story about forgiveness. He wouldn't give you two reasons, three reasons why you're forgiving. He shows you a picture of it. So this goat is very significant. This Azazel goat is very significant because to the Eastern mind, they see it as something bigger than just a goat. They see it as a representation of forgiveness. So here comes this Azazel goat. Skip down to verse 20. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tabernacle and the altar, he must bring the living goat forward. He is to lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the sins and rebellion of the Israelites. You get that? He must lay his hands on the goat's head and all of the sins of Israel, bam, on that goat. All of the sins from the past year of the entire nation of Israel are placed in this goat, in this Azazel, take away, to be taken away. In this way, he will lay the people's sins on the head of the goat. Then he will send it out into the wilderness, led by a man chosen for this task. After the man sets it free in the wilderness, the goat will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. Now, Aaron could have gotten up there and he could have said, your sins are forgiven. And for us in the Western mind, maybe we would have gone, okay, thanks, dude. See you next year. But for the Eastern mind, what he does is they bring this goat in. The sins are on this goat. And then they physically take the goat out of the camp, out of Jerusalem, into the wilderness, and they throw it off a cliff. That's a picture that stays with you. I get it. You are placing my sins and saying they're gone far away from me and will not come back. I'm clean. Now, how'd you like to be the guy that leads the sins of the people away? You know, here's the sins of the entire nation. Have fun. Usually what they would have done is they would have chosen the Gentile for this because you wouldn't want to have a Jew being labored with the entire sins of the Jewish nation. So you choose a, a Gentile and he would take the goat out. There's there's some historical uh, from the Mishnah, which is an extra Judaism, uh, Jewish book that, that has writings outside of it, that has this occurrence of a red cord. And the red cord, this isn't oh, just a wonderful thing. The red cord is placed around the goat's neck as a sign of blood and judgment and punishment, driving it home even more. And then they take the goat out and they get rid of the goat and in some sources, uh, Rob says it's kind of hard to find this, but what they would have done is they would have taken that red cord back and hung it on the door to the temple, or they would have hung it on the altar itself. And it was said that over the next year, that red cord would have slowly turned white. 
that that red cord would have turned from red, that sin and judgment and punishment, to white, to forgiveness and cleansingness, cleanness. It was clean. But do you see the image there? Here's the cool thing that he says. It stopped working. It stopped working. It stopped turning from red to white about 40 years before the destruction of the temple. About 40 years before the destruction of the temple. Anybody know when the temple was destroyed? What year? Anybody throw it out? 70 AD. Do your math. About the time that Jesus began his ministry, it stopped working. Dude. And these are Jews writing this. You don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's rocks. That is cool. The Azazel goat stopped having its power. Turn to John 19 if you've got your Bibles. Flip over to John 19. In John 19, it says, if I can... This is Luke, actually. Let's go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the books. Um, in John 19, there's the, the story of the crucifixion. I mean, obviously, it's the Gospel of John, so there's a lot in there. But when you get to John 19 and you get to the story of the crucifixion and, and, and the Jews, we talked about this, Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, we talked about it last week, brings Jesus uh, to, to Pontius Pilate. And he says, you know, we're done with this dude. You know, he, he's blasphemed, you know. Take, kill him, do all this stuff, and, and Pilate kind of argues with him and stuff. And then he, then he assents to it, and then he takes Jesus out and he flogs him. And, and then they put that crown of thorns around his head, if you remember. And then they put that robe on him. And then what happens? He brings him back to the Jews. Do you remember this? It always kind of, you know, you think that all the things happen, like the flogging, the crown of thorns, the robe, straight into the crucifixion. But that's not what happens. What happens is Pilate brings him back before the Jewish people one more time. And he goes, look, guys, I don't want to do this. I don't, I, I don't want to do this. What, what should we do with him? And what do they start yelling? Crucify. No. No. That's what, I, that's what you think. Crucify him. If you look at 19, verse 15. Azazel! Away with him. Take him away. Crucify him. Anybody get shivers? Dude, I did. They don't yell crucify him until they say take him away. Azazel. John is going, do you see the connection? John is like, here it is. I cannot spell it out for you any greater than this. The day of atonement is now. The goat with the sins upon it, the crown of thorns, the red dripping like the cord around the goat's neck. This is important to see. Do not miss this picture that John is painting. Azazel. Take him away. Crucify him. And then what happens? He's led out of the camp by Gentiles. He let out of the camp by Gentiles. Man, I told you this is cool stuff. This is why I can't sit in my seat. I've had a lot of coffee, true, but this is cool stuff. Azazel, take him away. He is the scapegoat. He's the scapegoat. You didn't know that's where that term came from, did you? The scapegoat. He is 
our scapegoat. He is the one in which we put our sins upon. See, the, the Jewish community wouldn't have thought my sins are going on to that goat. They would have thought our sins. They would have thought, sure, mine. But first they would have thought community-wise. Our sins. It's all of us. It is us together. Our sins go upon that goat. Our sins go upon Jesus. All of our sins. All of us. Every single one of us. Our sins go upon that Azazel to be taken away and cleansed. Now there's the story of the high priest. That the high priest at the end of things would have sat down. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10, the old, Paul's writing here and he says, The old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come, not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. How do we know this? Because they kept coming back year after year. One time did not suffice. Every year they had to come back and back to be cleansed, to have Yom Kippur. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have appeared. But just the opposite happened. Those yearly sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And then he fast forwards into verse 11. He says, under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that can never take away the sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as one of the sacrifices for sins, one sacrifice, good for all time. Then he sat down. Then he sat down. I'm done. We need one. I'm it. I will sit down because it's finished. Then he sat down at the place of highest honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled as a footstool under his feet. And listen to this. Because this is really, really important for your understanding of all of this. For by that one offering, he perfected forever all those whom he is making holy. For by that one sacrifice, He made you holy. You didn't know that you were going to be called a saint today, did you? But you are. You are a saint. God is making you into a saint. God is perfecting you into holiness when you accept the sacrifice. When you acknowledge that the high priest sat down, that that Azazel goat went The goat has left the building. The goat's gone. Your sins are gone. Now look, I'm a human. I get it. I understand that I'm going to sin. I mean, last week I talked about how I start every morning out with the the prayer of God, help me to be better today. Help me to be more like you today. And, And then I get out of bed and Corbin wakes up. You know, and it's just downhill after that. 
And throughout the day, I mean, Monday, I I do this whole story, you know, on Sunday morning. And then Monday morning, we're in the office, and I'm trying to be quiet, and I'm trying to work. And there's a couple of people in my office milling about and saying stuff. And and I jumped on one of them who's in the room right now. And Daryl, who uh, shares the office with me, turned to me and goes, see, it already happened. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) what time is it? Man, 930, that didn't last long, did it? But the ghost left the building. God's gone. You know what? Jesus knows about your addiction. Jesus knows about that affair. Jesus knows about that cheating. Jesus knows about it. But it's gone. Used to, when I would beat myself down about my past, about my life in college, when I would bring that self up in my mind and I would say how could you have done that how could you have lived your way your life that way used to I I would kind of go for it I'd get in a funk and I'd get kind of irritable and I'd get in this position where I wasn't free but what this says is I'm free that that goat's gone that goat has left the building that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ I'm free from that and while I will still sin God is making me holy God is making me into a saint says so right there that the sacrifice of jesus christ is moving me into perfection now i'm probably not going to get there until i see him face to face but boy i'm latching on to that goat has left the building stuff because that's a cool deal that's an amazing thing to get your head around. If you're weighed down right now by something that you did in your past, that's something you're currently involved in, the goat has left the building. Your sins are forgiven with the blood of Jesus Christ. You are free. That's pretty good news, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty rocking news. That's awesome. That is amazing to know that my life is free, that the bars that have bound me for so many years have broken open because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because the goat has left the building. So here's my question. Why don't we live this way? Why don't we live our lives this way in a way that we have utter joy in our life, in a way that we walk around saying, you know what? I may fail, but God has freed me. I'm going to try to live my life more and more like Christ every day, and I do. But at those moments where I stumble and I fall, I know that Christ will be there to dust me off and say, that's all right, kid. Let's try harder next time. Keep going. I'm right here with you. Every time you fall, I am here with you. Every time you fall, I am here to wipe you clean because I died and rose again for you. Because the ghost left the building. Why don't we live our life like that in the world? Instead, sometimes we're a little bitter, aren't we? We Christians? We're kind of an angry group at times. We like to point fingers and and judge and condemn. And why aren't we living our life in joy and in freedom and sharing that with the world? You know, the world's not going to want to come to us, not going to want to hear the salvation message if we say, hey, come to the Bible study that we're having. We. No, when they see you living your life like the goat has left the building, now that, that's an attractive message. That's maybe good news. Where you are today, you're no longer who you were when you accept Christ. 
You are a new person. You are a person being made holy in the image of God. Each and every day move towards perfection. Towards becoming holy. The goats left the building, people. Let's start living that way. Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you have given us through your Son's death and resurrection. God, we thank you and praise you that even though you knew who we were, you knew what we have done, you knew what we would do, you still took our sins upon you, took them away for us. God, we thank you that you have given us freedom in this life from those things, that you have given us an opportunity to live a life free from pain and suffering. God, you've given us the opportunity to have abundant life. And God, I don't mean riches and fame and fortune and all those things. I mean a life truly whole. Truly whole. God, I thank you for that. And I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know that, Lord, that has never accepted the gift and power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you would humble them today. Not because of the things that I have said today, but because of your gift. Because of your power, your spirit, your love, your mercy, your sacrifice, Lord. God, help us all to know that the goat has left the building.